How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Good. Do any of you here like to get gifts? Gloria likes to get gifts. Harley likes to get gifts. Katie, you're think, still thinking about it, huh? Okay, you like to get gifts. So we, all, everybody likes to get gifts, right? Come on down, guys. Have a seat. When you get a gift, what do you like to do with your gift? Harley. Open it. Okay. Do you just tear it all up and go into it? No. What else do you do with it? Gloria. Come on in. Have a seat. Okay. Raise your hand and tell me what's one of the greatest gifts you've ever got. When did you get that? Been a while? Okay. Yes, sir. Nolan. Okay. Come on, have a seat. Harley, what's one of the greatest gifts you've ever got? A game? When did you get that game? Still thinking about it? Been a while? All right, Gloria. Okay. okay. Miss Lydia. Wow. When you get a gift, do you ever tell the person who gave it to you, thank you? Six of you do, okay? <laughs> Sorry to hear that, guys. Suppose you got a, a baseball bat. Caden, you'd like to get a baseball bat. I saw your eyes get real big there. But suppose the person who gave you the baseball bat was happy that you were excited to get this baseball bat, but instead of using it for baseball, you used it as a sledgehammer. Do you think the person who gave it to you would be real happy about that? No. Okay, suppose you got an electronic game and you took it with you to the swimming pool. Do you think the person who spent that money to give you this gift would be really happy that you took it and put it in the water? No. So when they give you someone a gift, we want you to use it the way it's intended. And I know as a dad, when I give my children gifts, or even my wife a gift, when they say thank you, they show, express gratitude, it makes me feel good, right? Now, only six of you raised your hand and said you say thank you when you get a gift. I want you to change that, okay? I, every time you get a gift, I want everyone to say thank you. Because the gifts that we, you get for your parents or your uh, friends, your relatives, they want you to enjoy it. You everybody, everybody understand that? I'll get a thumbs up from Gloria. All right, Harley. Katie, thank you. When you get a gift, make sure you always say thank you. Pastor Michael has a gift box. And inside this gift box, I have a gift for everyone. Now tell me, when you take one of these gifts, what should you say? 
Everybody. All right. You'll stand up. This is chocolate. Everybody pick one and you say what? Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Harley. Mr. Bob, I'm going to use your stand. All right. Did you get one, Eddie? Yeah. All right. Are these good? All right. Everybody got one? Great. Adults, if you'd like to have one later, I'll leave it up here. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books. It's sort of hard to understand just by just a casual reading. But Ecclesiastes is meant to show us what we cannot find fulfillment in under the sun or in this life. But it's not all bad news because it does show us the things we can find enjoyment in, things we can find fulfillment in in this life. There's another refrain or chorus repeated in Ecclesiastes over and over and over. Besides, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless or vanity of vanities or... Pastor Dave's favorite word, hubal. <laughs> he says that we are to enjoy food. Enjoy your relationships. Take pleasure in your work. There is goodness in the life that God has given you. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15 says, So I advise you, everyone, enjoy life. A person on this earth can't do anything better than to eat, drink, and be glad. Then they will enjoy their work. They'll be happy all the days of the life God has given them on this earth. God wants us to enjoy life. But as we open up Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we get a reality check. Statistics show us that 100% of all people die. Did anybody not know that? I hope not. If you think you're going to live forever in this body, you're mistaken. Unless Jesus comes back, you and I will die physically. Chapter 9 begins with this reality check. Verse 1 says... Now, I use NIRB, which is a children's Bible, but it's easy to understand. He says, I thought about all these things, and I realized that those who are wise and those that do right are under God's control. We are in his hands. What they do is also under his control, but no one knows whether they'll be loved or hated. First blank you need to fill in, we are in God's hands. Verse 2, 
everyone will die someday. You told me that everybody's okay with that. Death comes to the godly and the sinful people alike. It comes to the good and people alike. It comes to the clean and unclean people alike. Those who offer sacrifices and those who don't offer sacrifices, they also die. A good person dies, so does a sinner. Those who make a promise die, so those who are afraid also to make promises, they also die. There is a commonality of death. Everyone's going to die. Then verse 3. Here's what is so bad about everything that happens in this earth. Death catches up with all of us. Also, the hearts of people are full of evil. They live in foolish pleasure. After that, they join those who are already dead. Death treats everyone the same. Now we're going to come to verse 4. Anyone who is still living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. How many of you have wrote this in your Bible and highlighted this as one of your favorite verses? Me neither. (laughs) This verse highlights the value of life. It's not a fiery, inspirational verse, but rather a blunt comparison. Even a live dog, not dignified, is better than a dead lion. Dignified, but dead. Have you ever known someone who is exceptional at a backhanded compliment? Uh, A praise for a good meal might sound like, I've had worse. Not bad. Better than the dog food. Would anyone consider that a compliment? I've seen some people shaking their heads. I know I wouldn't want to do that. If you've heard something like that, I hope you understand that that was meant jokingly. I really hope so. Verse 4 sounds like one of those backhanded compliments. Most people would not be thrilled to be called a live dog. Right now, I have six of those in my house, and two of them don't belong to me. To be called a live dog doesn't seem like a very big compliment to me. But it's undeniable that being a live dog is better than being a dead lion, who was once majestic and glorious, but is now gone. This statement is both jarring and exceptionally helpful. Jarring because it's pragmatic. It's right to the point. Uh, It's helpful because it pulls us out of mortal dread and into the midst of actually living. The only way to live a meaningful, fruitful life under the sun in this life is to deal with reality and respond with godly wisdom. Us Christians should be the most realistic people on earth, neither denying or paralyzed by death. When you consider the comparison of being a living dog versus a dead lion, 
It offers clarity. It crystallizes the value of life, even a simple life or a struggling life. Everyone in this room has suffered problems in your life, I'm sure. It's better alive than being dead. While you still have breath in your lungs, while you still have blood pumping through your body, you're alive. God never promised that you would have a life with no problems or with no pain, just the opposite. Jesus said, we're going to have trouble. The writer of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is Solomon. He gives us this analogy of a living dog as opposed to a dead lion. Have you ever thought about that all the meaningful things of life are left behind in death? You can't take it with you, right? Life under the sun, life in this earth right now is defined by mortality. The sun setting on our days. Vanity or meaningless or hubal is defined by things coming to an end. But life above the sun is defined by immortality. If you are a child of God, this life is not all we have to look forward to because there's a life a whole lot better with Jesus in heaven. That's called eternal life. These realities are inescapable. Even a simple life, even a struggling life is value. It has meaning. Throughout the Bible, these realities are revealed to us. We're going to go through a couple of verses here. John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible. What's it say? Jesus wept. Jesus wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. Now think about this. He wept knowing he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why did he weep? He wept for the pain and loss that death brings to those who are alive. I go to funerals. I see people crying. Sometimes I'm crying with them. If they are a child of God, I'm not crying for those who have died, but those who I look around that are grieving, that are suffering the loss, and I weep with them as Jesus wept. Death hurts. Not just the person that died, but more importantly, those who are left behind. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, Paul says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Paul described death as this last enemy, but he puts verbiage to the feeling we have towards death. We hate it. It's the enemy and it will be destroyed. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. John writes that death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. 
The lake of fire is that second death. Death will burn when Jesus returns. It will be thrown into lake of fire. Death is an evil, and death is an enemy. Now we're going to go back to Ecclesiastes. Verses 5 and 6. People who are still alive know they'll, they'll die. But those who have, not, who have died don't know anything, don't re- receive any more rewards, and even if their name is for- forgotten, their love, hate, and jealousy will all disappear. They will never share again in anything that happens. In these first six verses, we see that death is unavoidable. Everyone's going to die. At first, this reality seems discouraging. Well, what's the point of living well if it will be forgotten anyhow? The point is that living well makes a difference. During our time under the sun, living in the light of death means maximizing whatever days you and I have. But it's not intended to dampen our outlook. It's intended to shift our outlook from seeking hope and identity and fulfillment under the sun. No matter what you do, work at it with all your heart. Remember, you're going to a place of the dead. We're all going to die. There isn't any work or planning or knowledge or wisdom there. But it's preparing us for a life forever above the sun. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I'm going to stop talking about death. It's unavoidable. We're all going to die. The next four verses, I call it, enjoy the life that God's given you. These verses almost sound out of place. After all, we studied about the vanity or meaningless or habal and the brokenness of this world. They are repeating Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. It's telling us to enjoy ourselves, to take pleasure in the good things of life. Now, this sounds strange. The writer's not telling to, to, to play the fiddle while Rome burns or to dine as the Titanic sinks. He's not telling us to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow or you die. We are not to find pleasure to numb the pain or to fill the void we have. We are enjoying the gifts of God. Now, if I ask the kids, how many of you enjoyed your, your chocolate? I'm pretty, I hope, okay, Gloria was the only one to raise her hand. Okay, a couple upstairs. Harley, you'll raise your hand. I'll tell you, Harley, this candy is leftover from Halloween. Pastor Dave told me I should never give it to you because it's, it's leftover candy. But guys, it is what? It's chocolate. Do you, does it matter to you that this is actually came from Halloween? Did you still enjoy it? Absolutely. He says in verse 7, go, enjoy your food. Be, do Be joyful as you drink your wine. God has already approved what you do. 
First lesson of enjoyment is enjoy your food. Verse 8, he says, always wear white clothes to show you're happy. Anoint your head with special oil or olive oil or perfume. We need to make every occasion something special. Enjoy every occasion. Boys and girls, how many of you like to have birthday parties? How many of you like Christmas? How many of you like special occasions? We do. Whatever the occasion, enjoy it. Make it special. Now, I have a wife that's very good at making, whether it's her birthday or Christmas or Easter, whatever the occasion, she has a way of making it special to us. Whether it's a, a perfect meal or a fantastic dessert, we enjoy those special occasions. While we're living under the sun, while we're in this life, this is the time to enjoy those. Move on to verse 9, one of my favorite verses. It says, enjoy the love of your wife. Enjoy life with her. Do it all the days of this meaningless life, this habal life, this shortened life God has given you on earth. That is what he made you for. That is what you get all your, for all your hard work on the earth. He tells us to, to enjoy your marriage, enjoy your relationship, enjoy your friendships. Now, Pastor Michael and Miss Joanne will be married 35 years. Dick, Pastor Dick, I'm just a few years shorter than you, you and Ruth, you know, 25. Uh, but we have learned to, to enjoy our, our marriage. But not just marriage. How many have relationships? Okay, only two of you in this church, three of you in this church have relationships. How many of you have friendships? Man, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> Some of you have friendships. Whatever friendship, whatever relationship you have, whatever marriage you're in, enjoy it. It's a gift from God. Then look at verse 10. No matter what you do, work at it with all your might. Mr. Eric, I've seen you working on your jobs. You work really hard. Chris, you're a farmer. There's no such thing as an easy day for you. Whatever you do, work at it with all your might. Remember, you are going to the place of death. And there isn't any work or planning or knowledge or wisdom there. Mr. Cecil back there, I see you work all the time. You let me borrow your tools. I know you're a hard worker. I want God tells us, enjoy your work. Whatever it is, enjoy it. Now, I have a question for you. How do we keep our pursuit of enjoyment from becoming idolatry? Or how do we avoid the pitfall of using these temporal things, going here for a little bit, in an attempt to give us purpose or identity? The answer to both these is how we receive the gifts. When someone gives us a gift, we show gratitude. At least I hope we do. We are grateful to the giver. 
the best way to show our gratitude is to express it. Then use that gift exactly as is intended. To enjoy God's gifts with relish, to deeply appreciate them and take pleasure in them honors God. You see, it's our attitude toward the giver that keeps the pleasure from becoming an idol. We cannot be thankful to God and worship the gifts as he gives us, that he gives us at the same time. Barnabas Piper states, this command to find joy in God's gifts, to thrive in our work, might seem like taking our eyes off eternal purpose with, of life with God. But it's actually just doing the opposite. Every pleasure that God gives us under the sun in this life is like an appetizer of what is to come. Every delicious bite of food, every laugh we share with our friends, every good day at work is a hint of the joy and fulfillment that is to come to each of us in eternity. So these good gifts are not our ultimate satisfaction, but they are daily mercies God has for us that we find happiness and pleasure under the sun, even in the middle of a messed up world. A couple years ago, Joanne and I had been saving our money. We had an old boat, wasn't very fast, wasn't very anything to look at. We bought a, new, a newer boat to us, still a 2005. We enjoy our boat. We like taking it out. We like tubing and just enjoying the lake that God's provided for us. But this boat is not an idol. I don't worship my boat. This boat was a gift from God. And because it's a gift from God, we get to use it for his pleasure, for his honor. I'll give you an example. Next week, I'm taking my small group to Guernsey Lake, and I'm bringing my boat, and we're going to take the boat out. We have tube rides and stuff. And I want not only my small group, but our kids to realize that every good gift, every perfect gift we have, is from the Father above. Use it to bring glory to him. Well, we saw that death is unavoidable. Enjoy life that God has given you. Now we come to a part of the book that says life is unpredictable. Verse 11 says God controls the timing of every event. He also controls how things turn out. If you have an NIV Bible, only the Lord controls time and chance. We can't expect everything to go our way. How many of us have had trouble in our life that you didn't plan for? Okay. Recently, we had a canal blow out, right? None of you farmers planned for that. It has happened. Verse 12 says, no one knows when trouble will come to them. Fish are caught in nets, birds are taken in traps, and people are trapped by hard times that come when they don't expect them. 
As I was studying for this message, I was looking at my Bible, looked down, I saw this note. Now, I write in my Bible. The problem is that as I'm getting older, I can't read my writing. So I took my glasses off and looked down at it, and it says, we all have an expiration date. We all are going to die, and we all will experience troubled times. I wrote that in my Bible, and I went, that's pretty good. I'm going to put that in the message. <laughs> Trouble will arrive when le we least expect it. Since death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable, the only course we can safely take is to yield ourselves in the hands of God and walk by faith in his word. We don't live by explanations. We, God doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen to us from the time we're born to the time we die. We live by promises. Promises in the Word of God. We don't depend on luck, but on the providential working of our loving Father as we trust His promises and obey His will. Now, next week, Pastor Dave is going to tell you the key to this life is to, do you know it? We are to fear God and obey him. If we'll do those two things, you'll be able to enjoy this life. Forever how long it is or, or however simple it is or how blessed it is or how troublesome it is. If you will fear God and obey him, your life will be blessed. As we walk by faith, we do not need to fear our last enemy because Jesus Christ has conquered death. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. But look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and hell. Because Jesus is alive and because we live in him, we don't have to look at life and say, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Instead, we can be as Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, who declared, but let us give thanks to God. He wins the battle for us because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Always give yourselves completely to the work of the Lord. Because you belong to the Lord, you know that your work is not worthless or meaningless or vanity or habal. God wants us to make a difference in this life. Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. But whatever it is, according to the Word of God, if you'll put your faith in Him, if you'll walk by trusting Him, not by what you see, by trusting his promises, you can make a difference in your life. I know I want my life 
to make a difference, not only in my family and my children's life, but anyone that God brings me in contact with so that they can see that I do have joy in this life, not because of what I have, what I possess, or what I do, but what I do with that and who I give honor to. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the, I believe Solomon writing Ecclesiastes, the most wisest man who sought to find identity in his work and his pleasure and things. At the end of this book, he tells us the only thing we, we can do is to fear God, to respect him, to revere him, and to obey him. Father, we want our lives to make a difference, to make a difference in this life right now under the sun, so that one day when we're above the sun, when we're in eternity, we can hear, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter in to rest that I have prepared for you. Father, we look forward to that time above the sun. But until then, while we're still under the sun, while we're in this life, help us to make a difference in our lives. May we be living testaments of the joy that we, God wants us to have and experience to enjoy this life because he has given us these gifts. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody says...